Hey there, I'm Daphna Chazen, and this is the Down to Earth PCOS Nutrition Podcast. On the show, we talk about managing PCOS using proven strategies, ditching diets for good, and balancing hormones naturally. Let's get to it. for any amount of time, you know that I love carbs. I'm a big proponent of eating carbs every single day at every single meals. And you can consider today's episode as my carb manifesto, okay? So we're gonna talk about some fun facts around carbohydrates. And my goal is that you understand why they're so important. And you understand that we don't need to eliminate them. We certainly don't need to be afraid of them. We need to have a strategy around how we incorporate carbohydrates into our day. But they're certainly a very important important and very essential nutrient for anyone's diet, especially with PCOS. And so we're going to talk about some things that you probably haven't heard before. And I wanted to educate you on, share some information, give you a little bit of science behind what's going on with carbohydrates inside your body. And hopefully they become a little less intimidating because fear of carbs really needs to go away. It is making no sense. I see so many mixed messages around carbohydrates and forget mixed messages. I see bad advice around carbohydrates online. I recently saw a PCOS coach whose name we will not mention say that you should avoid a lot of vegetables because they're high in carbohydrates like carrots and cucumbers. And that is absolutely not true. It's actually harmful to do so. And I want to put an end to it. And because you decided to spend some time with me today here on the podcast, which I'm very grateful for, I want to make sure that you walk away with some new insights, new information that's, of course, highly credible and evidence-based about carbohydrates and not some random bad advice that you see on Instagram from someone with no credentials. All right, let's get to it. All right. So the first thing that I think is really worth knowing about carbohydrates is that your brain needs carbs in order to function. And so do your muscles. So our brain cells, which are called neurons, require twice as much energy as the cells in the rest of the body in order to function. And actually your brain uses about 20%. So about a fifth of the total energy in the body, which is a huge, huge percentage. And like I said, carbohydrates are the preferred source of energy for the brain, the problem is that the brain can actually not store glucose or it cannot store sugar like other organs and muscles in your body. So muscles actually can store their own little local supply of glucose. And so when we work out or when we move our body, your muscles use the glucose that's right there in their cells in order to produce energy but your brain can't do that. Your brain needs a constant supply of carbohydrates in order to function properly and in order to get the energy that it needs to sustain the activity. And I would say we can all agree that our brain activity is pretty important, okay? So the brain is dependent upon when we eat and what we eat in order to sustain its function. And what our brain likes is consistent and stable supply of glucose, not those peaks and valleys which lead to brain fog and fatigue and difficulty concentrating or remembering things. That's not the kind of brain activity that we want, of course. What we know is that when people eat a lot of fiber, they eat carbohydrates at certain amounts throughout the whole day and give the brain a constant, consistent supply of glucose, we know the brain functions best 
that way. On the flip side, we see that when the brain stops metabolizing glucose properly and efficiently, older adults start showing signs of Alzheimer's. And so there is definitely an impact on the brain when glucose is not metabolized properly. And studies show that when the brain doesn't metabolize glucose efficiently, there's a correlation with Alzheimer's and dementia and overall reduced cognitive function. And so the brain does need carbs, that's for sure. And sometimes the ability of the brain to process those carbs goes down with age and that can lead to reduced function. But also the type of carbohydrates that we eat matter a lot. Studies show that when people eat a lot of refined carbohydrates, that's not necessarily the best thing for our brain because it's linked to depression and reduced cognitive function as well. And so carbohydrates that are very easily digested, things that don't contain a lot of fiber or things that are very high in sugar and break down quickly in the body, that's not the best thing for our brain. So it's not like every type of carbohydrate is important. They do differ as far as the type and quality of the carbohydrate. And so that's an important aspect to look at as well. One of the biggest factors in terms of quality of carbohydrates is the fiber content. We know that higher fiber carbohydrates help our gut bacteria thrive. And there's a lot of new research that shows that there's a huge connection between the gut and the brain. And when we eat higher fiber products and foods, our gut bacteria is growing, not just in amounts, but also in diversity. So we want a pretty diverse colony of bacteria in the gut because they exert different health benefits. And we know that the gut is really our second brain. So it's important to keep our gut healthy. And we do that in part through eating higher fiber foods in order to support those healthy bacteria. All right. The next thing I want you to know, and this one is important. So please listen carefully here because I get questions about this all the time. And that is that a rise in your blood sugar after carbohydrates are eaten is perfectly normal and desirable. This is what your body does. This is how your body gets energy from carbohydrates. And that's how it's extracting that energy from the food. It is a desirable process. So we do not need to avoid blood sugar rises and we certainly don't need to micromanage our blood sugar response after meals. We want to make sure that we're eating the right amount of carbohydrates for our body and then we see a rise in blood sugar. If you're wearing a glucose monitor, you're going to see that rise. We do not need to be nervous or anxious about it. It is perfectly normal because in most cases, your body is going to bring that blood sugar back down to the normal levels after your meal. Most people's bodies are able to do this. The one exception is if you already have type 2 diabetes or maybe pre-diabetes that's not properly managed, you may have a harder time controlling the sugar numbers. But if you don't have an issue with elevated blood sugars and you're someone who's wearing a blood glucose monitor and gets worried about blood sugar spikes after your meals, you have nothing to worry about. That's actually perfectly normal. That's how the digestive process works. And that's what we want. We want that higher blood sugar so that the body can get the energy that it needs. And then your body brings it way down once those carbohydrates are burnt off for energy. Now, of course, we don't want peaks and valleys. We don't want this blood sugar roller coaster all day long. We want more wave-like activity. And again, when you know how to put your meals together, when you understand your carb tolerance, which are all things that I teach inside my programs, you're going to know how to do this. So I'm not saying that 
blood sugar spikes are desirable, but blood sugar rises that fall gently and rise again after another meal are totally normal. There is absolutely nothing to worry about if this is what you're experiencing. Now, again, if you're not wearing a blood glucose monitor, you're not going to know what your blood sugar levels are, but you can absolutely tell by how you feel. So if you eat a meal that has carbohydrates and you feel satiated for several hours after it, you don't have cravings, your energy levels stay pretty stable and you don't have brain fog or anything like that, that was the correct amount of carbohydrates for you. If you eat something and you're agitated, you're feeling shaky and hungry soon after you eat, you have a lot of sugar or carb cravings between meals, and you just feel tired and sluggish all of the time, then maybe you are experiencing peaks and valleys in your blood sugar and you do need to change what you're eating. It doesn't mean that you need to stop eating carbohydrates. It may mean that you're eating too many in one sitting. It may mean that you're not eating carbohydrates that contain enough fiber. It may mean that you're not adding enough fat, protein, and vegetables to that meal so it's not a well-rounded, balanced meal. You're eating carbohydrates on their own and that's why you're seeing that blood sugar response or those symptoms of a blood sugar spike and crash. So this stuff needs your attention and you need to work with someone in order to understand what it means if you can't figure it out on your own, but it certainly doesn't mean that you should not be eating carbohydrates. That's too often the conclusion that women jump to and that's wrong. Not only are you eliminating food unnecessarily, and you're oftentimes eliminating foods that you absolutely love and want to enjoy, you're also going to be missing out on fiber and all the other great nutrition that carbohydrates provide and that you actually can't get from any other sources in your food. It is very difficult to get fiber from other sources if you're not including carbohydrates. So it's not only unsustainable, it's also very much imbalanced as far as your nutrition. And I just want to say one more thing about blood sugar monitors. Those are those devices that you put behind your arms and they're pretty trendy right now. A lot of companies give them for free. They'll ship them to you for free. And then you get connected with their service, with their app, with their dietitian, and they help analyze your blood sugar response. It is absolutely not necessary to micromanage your blood sugar. Again, if you don't have diabetes, because, and actually it is now recommended that even people with pre-diabetes don't monitor their blood sugar that closely. And so if you don't have pre-diabetes or type two diabetes, you absolutely, in my opinion, don't need to wear one of those devices. I think that it creates an obsession with food. I think that it keeps you preoccupied with every single rise and fall of your blood sugar, which again is a normal part of your body's physiological function. And over time, it can really lead to disordered eating, in my opinion, because it makes you hyper-focused on carbohydrates in a way that's not healthy. And so just my two cents about those blood sugar monitors, I don't recommend them unless you have type 2 diabetes and you actually have a hard time keeping your blood sugar within the right ranges throughout the day. With that, I want to talk about the next thing, which is that carbs are not the only thing that impacts your insulin levels. And this is something that a lot of people don't realize. So when you go on very low carbohydrate diets, naturally what you're going to be eating more of is protein and fats, primarily from animal sources. And so if you've done keto or dirty keto or any type of Whole30 or those plans that really emphasize animal proteins 
and reducing things like starchy vegetables and beans and carbohydrates in general and grains, what you're generally doing is you're increasing your intake of saturated fat and protein. And that is something that can really impair the activity of insulin and of course, impact your blood sugar over time. So most women with PCOS do have higher levels of insulin at baseline, even if your blood sugar is perfectly normal. And so when you eat a meal or a diet that's very high in animal protein and saturated fat, because most animal proteins are going to come with higher saturated fat content, like red meat and eggs and high fat dairy. These are usually staples on plans like keto. And what we know from studies is that they can really impair your insulin activity and worsen insulin resistance. So even though the focus is so much more on carbs than on protein and fats, we actually know that the negative impact of saturated fat on your insulin levels is much higher than any type of carbohydrate. And that's been done in studies and proven in studies time and time again. So the type of protein that you eat does matter in terms of your blood sugar control and your insulin levels. And it's not just about reducing the amount of carbohydrates. We do need to pay attention to the type of protein that we're eating as well. The one exception to this is fatty fish. So of course, fish is an animal protein, but because it contains a lot of anti-inflammatory omega-3 fats, it actually was seen to improve insulin resistance. So this is your reminder to eat more fish if you like it and if it's something that you can incorporate into your diet regularly. But what we know from studies, again, is that when someone replaces their animal protein, generally their higher saturated fat proteins like red meat with plant-based proteins, things like beans and legumes and tofu, they actually see better glycemic control. This is your blood sugar fluctuations throughout the day. So those things are improved when someone Someone eats more of the fiber containing plant-based proteins as opposed to the higher saturated fat animal proteins. And that may be counterintuitive for a lot of people because obviously plant-based proteins are higher in carbohydrates, right? So when we think about beans, they have a higher carbohydrate content than an animal protein, but studies have shown that eating more plant-based proteins is beneficial for both insulin resistance and blood sugar control. And so more animal protein is not necessarily better. It can actually worsen insulin resistance. And so we want to bring in more carbohydrates, especially the one that have good levels of protein like chickpeas, beans, lentils, legumes, and that's going to be beneficial. And again, that goes back directly to the fiber content as well as the reduction in saturated fat because plant-based proteins do not contain fat. They are naturally fat-free. Okay, the next thing you may not know about carbs, and I touched on this before, is that carbs pack important nutrients that other foods can't give you, okay? So, of course, we're talking mostly about fiber. It's really hard to get to the recommended amount of fiber from other foods if you're not incorporating carbohydrates into your day. And so the recommendation is to get up to 30 grams of fiber. This is what I teach women inside my program. This is what we work on to show them how to add fiber into their day in a way that will accumulate to about 30 30 grams per day. And of course, we don't want to do it all at once. That's a recipe for digestive disaster, but you want to gradually build up to it and sprinkle it or spread it, I should say, throughout the day, evenly throughout your meals and snacks so that the amount is manageable and is beneficial to your body without any adverse effects. But 
fiber is one of those things that can really mostly come from carbohydrate sources. And it's going to be a huge challenge to add fiber. And no, fiber pills and fiber powders are generally not the things that I want to focus on. We want to get it from whole foods. There's a benefit to eating the whole food as it contains fiber and other minerals and nutrients. And that's not going to come from taking a capsule or a powder. So in order to reach that amount of fiber, we need to eat carbohydrates daily and probably at every single meal. And again, the type matters, the amount matters. We want to be very strategic about that. That's something that I teach in my programs, but it's going to help you meet the 30 grams of fiber per day, which has immense health benefits, not just for blood sugar control and reducing insulin resistance, but also for healthy digestion, reducing cholesterol levels and heart disease risk, for making sure that you can manage your weight more easily, keeping cravings at bay, making sure you're not hungry throughout the day. Fiber has a million benefits. Carbs do provide a ton of other vitamins and minerals, but most importantly, in terms of hormones and fertility, it's really important to know that carbs are a great source of both B vitamins and magnesium. So things like B1 and B6, as well as magnesium, are super important for hormone balance, for fertility, and for making sure that you're reducing and even reversing your PCOS symptoms. It's really hard to get some of these nutrients from other food sources, and so just the combination of the fiber, the vitamins, and the minerals that are in carbohydrates is essential for your overall health as a person with PCOS. Okay, and last but certainly not least, I want to talk about what happens to carbohydrates after you eat them. Many people don't know that carbs have three different fates inside your body. The first one is they're being burnt off for energy. That's one option. The second one is that they're stored for later in the liver and muscle cells. And then the last one is that they are being converted to fat. Did you know that your body can actually take a carbohydrate or a glucose molecule and turn it to something else and store it as fat? Many people don't realize this. This is important stuff to know. We'll keep it pretty broad, pretty surface level because we don't want to get into the nitty gritty of the chemistry and everything that's going on. But I do want you to know this. When you eat carbohydrates in the right amounts, most of them are going to be burnt off for energy. And that's done through glucose being pulled into your cells and it's burnt off to make something called ATP, which is your body's currency for energy. This is how you get energy. Okay. Now, when you eat any type of carbohydrate, it's going to be broken down to glucose and that glucose will enter the cell, hopefully with the help of insulin and then it's burnt off. Now, when we eat too many carbohydrates and the body has already produced enough energy, it doesn't need any more, but we gave it more than it needed, those extra carbohydrates that we ate are going to be converted to something called glycogen and stored in the liver and muscle cells. Glycogen is a storage form of energy. It's a storage form of glucose, and it's going to hang out there in the liver and the muscle for times where you're fasting, maybe at night or between meals, to keep your blood sugar stable. And so 
when you're fasting, your liver and there's not glucose coming in from your diet because you're not eating, your liver is going to release that glycogen and that's going to keep your blood sugar levels within the right ranges. Now, the glucose that's stored in the muscle is primarily used to fuel the muscle cells. And this is partly why having increased muscle mass is beneficial for your metabolism because your muscles are going to turn over that glucose more at a higher rate. And you're gonna obviously give your muscles energy that way, but also your muscles are a huge consumer of glucose. So when you have more muscle mass, your blood sugar levels are likely to be lower or better balanced because your muscle is constantly taking up sugar from your bloodstream to be used locally. And that is a good thing. So working on building your muscle mass is really important, not only for insulin resistance, but also for blood sugar control. And that's something that, of course, you could do with resistance training and weightlifting and slower types of activities that don't necessarily involve cardio. So muscle building activities are really super important. Okay, so the carbohydrates that are not burnt off for energy are stored in the liver. One interesting thing to know is that every molecule of carbohydrate or of glucose is stored with two molecules of water. And this is partly why when you go on a very low carbohydrate diet, you start seeing big weight loss in the beginning, big drops in your weight in the beginning. That's mostly water weight because your liver is releasing all of that stored glycogen because you're not eating carbohydrates. There is nothing coming in. So it's using the reserves it's using what's in storage and every molecule of glycogen that's being released is also released with two molecules of water. You're going to be peeing a lot and a lot of that initial weight loss that's usually really big numbers that everyone gets excited about is natural weight loss. Unfortunately, it's mostly water weight loss from the release of glycogen. So that's just a little fun fact for you. All right. And then the third and last thing that can happen to carbohydrates inside your body is that they're actually converted to fat. This is something we see when people eat very large amounts of carbohydrates or very high refined carbohydrate diets. And what happens is if your body doesn't need it for energy, because there's already plenty, if the storage is full in your liver and muscle cells, your body is going to turn those carbohydrates to triglycerides and to fatty acids. This is something that that's kind of like the chemical term for it. And so we see that people who eat very large amounts of carbohydrates have higher triglyceride levels. This is the reason why. And also a lot of those carbohydrates that are excessive are going to be stored as fat mass. Our fat mass is our body's long-term storage facility. Whatever goes in there is really hard to take out. And so those carbohydrates that are not needed for energy, they're not needed in the immediate storage facility, which is your liver, are going to go in there into the long-term storage. And this is partly why it could be very challenging to lose fat because your body is going to prefer to mobilize other things, to burn off other sources of energy first before it goes into that long-term storage facility. Okay, so let's just recap. I hope you learned something new today about carbohydrates and that you now feel more educated about it so that you can tell 
myth from fact when it comes to eating carbohydrates, which is super duper important. And I highly recommend that you reevaluate your relationship with carbohydrates and some of the things or maybe diet rules or mantras that you've picked up along the way about why carbohydrates are bad, because I know that they are something that women need to eat more of. They are an essential part of the PCOS diet. And I am a true advocate for adding carbohydrates into every single meal in the right amount and picking the right types and all of that great stuff. But there is absolutely no need to fear carbohydrates, especially when you know some of the things that I taught you today. And so let's recap what we talked about. We talked about how the brain needs carbohydrates in order to function, and so do your muscles. We talked about how carbs aren't the only thing that impacts insulin levels. We also talked about a rise in blood sugar and why it's normal and desirable, and there's no need to freak out about it. Then we talked about how carbs pack very important nutrients that most other foods can't give you. And then last but not least, we talked about the three fates of carbs inside your body and what actually happens when you eat them. What are some of the options? Well, they can be burned off for energy. They can be stored inside your liver and muscle for energy later, or they can be converted to fat. All of this stuff is important to know. I hope you found it valuable. I'd love for you to leave me a rating and a written review. If you're enjoying the episodes and you want to hear more of the good stuff, it helps me get the show to more audiences and continue to produce this content for free. So I'd be so grateful if you took a minute to leave a rating and a review, and I cannot wait to connect with you again soon. Bye. 